Hi guys and welcome back to another episode of the In The Hub podcast, brought to you by Playbox Technology UK. This is the final part of our two-part series on the future of sports broadcasting. We'll be speaking to Bruce Devlin to discuss how exciting new technologies are shaping the future of how audiences consume sport. Bruce, also known as Mr MXF and host of Bruce's Shorts, is the Standards Vice President at Sumpty. Hope you enjoy. So welcome back to the podcast, Bruce. Uh, I felt like we needed to kind of bring you on for this episode. Uh, we're going to talk about some more of the kind of technical things uh, involved within sports broadcasting. Um, and obviously you've, you've had an episode with us before uh, where you've talked about, about uh, formats and, and, and file formats and things like that in broadcasting. Indeed. Um, but just to kind of briefly recap for, for some of the listeners who maybe haven't, haven't caught up on that episode yet. How did you actually come to be involved in broadcasting? Well, it was it started way back in the sort of you know the post Jurassic period, I think the nineteen eighties, <laughs> when um, I left university, had the choice of going and designing missiles or joining the BBC. So I joined the BBC, and that seemed like a really good place to go and learn about uh, technology. And I was in their research department back in the mid eighties. Yes. It was quite a choice you faced at that point, wasn't it? Yeah, it was in- interesting. Where that you know back in those days we were still fighting physics. You know, we didn't quite have processes that we could do everything in software. So um, the interesting areas in physics were video processing and uh, cruise missiles. And I didn't really fancy the latter, so uh, video processing won. I was going to say, hopefully you've you've kind of never looked back from that decision. Well, you, you, you say that, but I designed MXF, and that gets stuck into airborne platforms you know once you design these children you can't control what they do with their lives they run off and they do whatever they want it's terrible <laughs> yeah so so bruce what about kind of sports broadcasting has there ever is that kind of always been a, a point of interest for you i know in, in obviously in your spare time uh you're credited with with winning a, a few triathlons um you know is, is that something that's always been a point of interest for you or or is it just kind of part of the job no it absolutely has um when i was at the bbc one of the projects that i was on was designing radio camera antennas and so uh, even to this day you'll see uh, some fit cameramen running up and down the sidelines of uh, sports uh, you know, football pitches and the like with kind of like a yogurt pot on a stick on the end of it um and i kind of uh, help the r d team at the bbc bring those into existence and get rid of some of the um uh, the radio frequency issues then and I, would, I was absolutely fascinated and the, the chance to get out and actually you know do sports but do it professionally was just fantastic it was re- really good fun really enjoyed it and I always vowed that um, at some stage I'd get back into it yes yeah and, and I, I was just going to say we can't talk about kind of standards in broadcasting uh, and, and just simply not include sports broadcasting I, I think uh, along with news coverage it's it's arguably kind of one of those hallmarks and 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 a major saving grace of linear TV, would you agree? Oh, ab- absolutely. And, you know, just to mention standards, you know, if no, if any of these list, any listeners have not actually been to a sports broadcast, uh, next time you're somewhere where there is a truck or something like that, just have a look at the total number of connections and bits of wire and cabling and the number of different companies around. The reason you need standards is each one of those different companies and each one of those cables needs to hit half a dozen standards just so that their kit plugs into all the other it's in the infrastructure um it's a it would be a total nightmare without standards and it's difficult enough with standards <laughs> exactly um and obviously with, with sports broadcasting sports in general live sports obviously it's such a massive part of, of a lot of people's lives um you know massive part of, of the kind of way they consume entertainment um obviously like you were saying there the, the sheer amount of cabling the sheer amount of kind of infrastructure that's involved 
Uh, it obviously means uh, broadcasting live sport can can often be quite a stressful kind of endeavour. Um, how have you personally seen broadcast technology uh, evolve over recent years to make that kind of less stressful? Ooh, I've, I've figured out how they've made it more cost effective. I'm not sure it's got any less stressful, though. I think there's a, a certain level of stress that is tolerated and you spend enough money until you reach that level and then stop. Yeah. Um, so one of the really interesting things is that, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, if you went to a major sporting event, you basically put your entire production force on a plane, flew them out, and you rented enough hotels to bankrupt a small um, city uh, in order to do your sports broadcast. But now with the uh, reduction in cost of backhaul uh, feeds and uh, an awful lot more fiber in the ground, you know, in other words, to get rid of the latency of going over one or two satellite hops, you can now backhaul an awful lot of stuff and keep your production crews largely at base and backhaul as much of the uh, signaling as you possibly can and have stuff that's live-ish, you know, it might be a little bit delayed, but um, you've traded off a phenomenal amount of cost um, by, by shipping all of your crews out and you're now doing a lot of the work with the, the kit that you've invested in, uh, that the people have been trained on. You're not having to do anything special. So an awful lot of sports broadcasting is now becoming um, do the exotic stuff on site, backhaul as much as you can, and do stuff with the infrastructure that's stable, working, and has been tested, and you don't have to stick on a plane, fly out, and hope it yes, gets there. Yeah. And, and in your kind of personal experience, Bruce, who... who is, is to blame for mistakes in, in terms of live sports broadcasting and stuff like that? Is it is it the kind of people or, or the technology? It's Well, it's a tough one, really. Um, the technology often breaks in new and interesting ways that people don't expect. Yes, yeah. um, and in, in some ways, the, the reduction in spend in some of the, the sports broadcasting has meant that those that, that used to be armies of backup teams who'd you know, be running around with spare bits of cable, being able to plug things in. And very often, uh, those backup teams aren't there anymore because the kit in some ways is more reliable than it's ever been. And when stuff goes wrong, it's usually something that nobody's thought of. Um, I, I was talking to a, a friend of mine who mentioned that one of the sports broadcasts for them that really went down was an IP sports broadcast. And it, the, the failure was actually that most of the Eastern Seaboard's DNS went down. And when you're entirely dependent on um, the, the public Internet to provide private feeds when all of that went down there's pretty much nothing they could do they were kind of left sunk so you know we we're finding new ways to to destroy the world every day uh, <laughs> that we haven't thought of before yeah i almost think that's a good thing in a way obviously it's going to try and future proof us but like you said there's always going to be things that go wrong aren't there um, yeah that be people or, or technology i was just going to mention in terms of people uh, one of the things that keeps getting um said to me as, as i go around particularly talking about um, IP infrastructures, um, whether they're standardized ST2110s or they're NDIs or whatever, a lot of it comes down to training. If you've got well-trained staff who are knowledgeable in the dynamics of a sports broadcast, because by definition, sports is unpredictable. Um, if, if you're familiar with how the kit works and you can cope with unpredictable events without getting flustered or panicky back to your stress thing, um, training counts for a lot and um, the, the regret that I often hear said from people who've had crises on air is that if only they'd done more training they wouldn't have had that problem so um, invest in that training it really does make a difference yeah 100% yep try and future proof yourself essentially and, and yeah um, indeed so when, when things do go wrong you, you kind of have a semblance of what to actually do 
Um, a semblance. I like that word. <laughs> I'm going to use that in my next training course. <laughs> Brilliant. I'll look out for that, Bruce. Um, so, yeah, I, I wanted to touch on kind of uh, virtual reality and augmented reality as well. Um, I, I read a few articles recently. It seems to be quite a hotly debated topic when it comes to live sports and, and the kind of impact that those two technologies will have on live sport. Do you kind of personally think that there is a future for these technologies in, in, in sports viewing? I could kind of picture myself maybe in the living room with a, a kind of VR headset on, uh, you know, trying to picture myself in this kind of 3D sports environment, watching it live. Um, but I, in my mind, I'm not quite there yet. I can't quite comprehend uh, kind of what that would be like. What do you kind of think of those two technologies? Well, I think there's two ways it could go. One is the purely creative aspect of it. So um, I, I'm a big Olympics fan. I'm, you know, personally, as you say, I do triathlons and cycle, and I used to be a springboard diver. Um, and one of the things that I think they did really well at the Olympics was the virtual camera views, where they had lots and lots of cameras in the stadium, and they would do a virtual flyover of, say, the pommel horse. Um, yes, yeah. Uh, by synthesizing camera views that were never there because there was never a camera there, but with enough different angles, they could recreate the objects and, and do a virtual flyover. And some of them worked really well. Um, typically the ones where they tried to simulate a frame rate of about 20 or 30 frames per second. And some of them worked really terribly. And that's when they simulated frame rate was down at sort of four or five frames per second. So from a creative perspective, I can see that as that sort of technology becomes uh, more cost effective. In other words, you know, static rigging of lots of cheap cameras uh, is just going to happen. Um, I can see that creatively that'll be good. But I also think there's a role for the augmented reality. Um, and I think this might actually happen in stadium before it happens at home. Um, so if in stadium you can hold up your phone and not just see the action, but actually see, you know, the, when the, um, uh, the commentators highlight a certain play or something going on, if you were to hold your phone in front of your um, face and see that, you know, there's something interesting happening here and you get the pundit um, commentating visually live while you're watching the game from your camera angle, you know, that people would pay for that. People would pay five bucks. And if you've got enough thousand people paying five bucks for that, um, it'll happen. Definitely happen. Yeah. I can I can actually pitch myself doing that. And and if you're that kind of involved in it and you, you, you're a proper sports fan, you know, getting your phone out, uh, being able to kind of scan the stadium, having a prompt there, and it shows you even even stats and and you know for boxing tail of the tape and stuff like that. Yeah, I think that'd be an absolutely kind of brilliant addition to to what's already a really exciting event. Basically. Yeah, I, I do pity the poor marshals who have to break up the fights because somebody's just jammed their iPhone into the left ear of some hulking brute standing next to them. But you know, it's going to happen. It'll be fine. There's definitely going to be some issues there. There's going to be some issues. <laughs> Um, and then out of kind of all of the future developments, the one that we've the ones that we've obviously mentioned and the ones that we haven't. So so things like obviously 8K and, and uh, VR and AR and things like that. Which one do you personally think is going to be the most exciting prospect for sports broadcasting going forwards? I think high dynamic range. Well done. Yeah. Um, and, and I say that just because when you're there in real life watching the golf ball sail into the air, it's only the high dynamic range of your eyeballs that lets you see the, the ball. And if we get high dynamic range really done well for sports, the just the engagement and the immersion is going to be awesome. And it doesn't matter you know, how far away you are from your screen. Um, it doesn't really matter what the sport is, but high dynamic range just brings that 
extra element of realism. And you know, things are getting a lot better. And when I see a good HDR sports uh, broadcast, you know, it's it's just stunning. Yes, yeah. um, but I think actually that will be the one that continues. To, to grow the audiences and really get that engagement. Yeah, 100%. I think the formula is there, isn't it, for sports? I think we, we've got to a point where uh, most sports broadcasts are, are really engaging. There's nothing that I'd really pick out as being, uh, you know, really stand out and turns me off or anything like that. Yeah. Um, unless, of course, there's those kind of spontaneous issues that, that crop up. But like you said, I think it's a point now of just upgrading what we're seeing to a point where, you know, it almost feels like we are there when we're not, yeah. um, which I think will be the next kind of elevation. I, I will add one more little cherry onto that particular engagement cake, on, Bruce. Uh, which is immersive sound. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think on, on Monday, there's going to be a, a Kit Plus TV um, episode where I talk about how they wired the whole of the um or many of the arenas at the olympic games for immersive sound so that you had a vertical element as well as the spatial element um so anybody who's wired their uh, their sitting room for that spatial sound would would have had a fantastic experience from the olympics um it wouldn't it's not quite as good as it would have been if there'd been crowds there i think that that might have made the engagement slightly better but I yeah. think for those who've invested in you know, good soundbar technology or even put vertical speakers into the, the ceiling in their, their sitting rooms or wherever they're watching their, their TV, um, I think if that starts to catch on, I think that will take HDR and really crank the, the, the level of engagement up, particularly when you've got um, uh, big stadiums with lots of people singing and shouting. That, that really makes a difference. But you do have to invest in your home for that to make a difference. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I think the people who, who really do value that kind of thing, they, they will, you know, take that extra mile and, and invest that money, won't they? Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, hopefully it will pay off. Um, so in, in just one word, Bruce, what do you envision for the future of the sports broadcasting industry? So I know we've asked you this question about the kind of wider broadcasting industry. We've had a couple of months now since since we last spoke to you. What do you kind of envision for the future of sports broadcasting in one word? Engagement. Engagement. Anything that just gets the pulse racing and gets you into the sport and allows you to forget that there's a screen and speakers and somebody shouting at you or the phone's ringing, anything that just dissolves you into the moment uh, and that includes being in the venue, that's what it's all about. Yep. No, 100% agree. Do you ever think there'll be a point where... Uh, some diehard fans they might have been going to stadiums uh, in person for, for most of their life following a team do you think there'll be a point where they think oh, there's really no point in me going to the stadium I could just stay at home and do this I don't think so because I think there's something about uh, particularly when you're in a stadium when the volume reaches a level of everybody singing or shouting where you can actually feel it in your rib cages, you I don't think you'll ever re recreate that at home. Not without, you know, your neighbours issuing a restraining order or turning your <laughs> volume down. Um, yeah. So I, I don't think anything beats that live shared experience. Um, but I think it'll get close. Yeah, 100%. I completely agree with that. I think there is a that, that kind of nature to us as humans, isn't it? That uh, no matter how far we progress with technology, I don't think anything will ever replicate that. Um, and that's how yeah. I like it. Uh, so, Bruce, obviously, thank you for joining me today, uh, helping me out with some of those questions. Are there any kind of exciting plans in the pipeline for you or, or Sympathy or Mr. MXF that you can talk to us about today? It's a, a couple of exciting things. Sympathy's just kicked off a thing called Rapid Industry Solutions, which is kind of ex an experiment, really, to put together a group of people who are specialists in a particular area to try and figure out um, what the yellow brick road to the future looks like. And the first of these is on virtualized production. 
And so I think there's about 30 odd companies uh, we've got together, um, about 50-50 sort of America and the rest of the world looking at the deep tech of virtual production, whether it's LED walls or colorimetry, um, you know, health and safety, all those kinds of things that you need. There's lots of moving parts to that problem. And we're trying to figure out, you know, how, how do we write best practices? Who needs to get involved so that we can actually make the world of virtual production um, more slick and more interoperable? So that's the first one. Uh, and then from the Mr. MXF point of view, um, I'm trying to put together a bunch of open source free tools that help end customers communicate with the vendors of products more effectively because what i've figured out is the products are getting more complicated uh, the vendors don't have time to learn it and so if there was a way to try and just help express the vocabulary of file-based workflows which is my speciality or even live-based workflows um, if i can help people do that then i think there'll be better engagement between the um, people selling tools and the people buying tools and actually we'll get more interoperability and better stuff. And part of that is doing my Bruce's Shorts video series, which I'm doing a few this year, but I'll be picking up a lot more next year and doing about, you know, two months, something like that. Yeah, 100%, Bruce. I, you're always on the move, aren't you? And um, I love seeing what you're doing over on LinkedIn and things like that. I love catching up on what you're doing. Uh, it's essentially all tying into to trying to make the broadcast technology industry a better place, isn't it, basically? Just, yeah, if I can just get people to enjoy even the boring bits of their jobs, yeah. yeah. I'll take that as a win. <laughs> That's brilliant, Bruce. Um, and how can people get in touch with you if they want to inquire about anything? Uh, best uh, place is my website, mrmxf.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and LinkedIn, but mrmxf.com, uh, you get the latest updates of what I've been doing. There's a contact form in there. And um, uh, there's some interesting videos and stuff to learn about. Brilliant stuff. So thank you so much, Bruce. Really do appreciate it. Thank you, Neil. Always fun talking to you. Speak to you soon. Cheers. Bye.